I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, guys, I've been lining up lots of fun interviews, and the fun continues today with Adam Prozac. So, Adam, welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so, Adam, um, we're going to start by asking the question I've been asking everybody, which is, how did you get into magic? Yeah, so I actually have an awesome um, intro story. So, during my uh, my grandparents' 50th an- uh, wedding anniversary, um, my cousins and I were just, like, bored with the, like, festivities or whatever, and one of my cousins was like, hey, I got this new game I want you to try. And so, I actually have the... And there are all sorts of pictures taken at this event. And one of these pictures is, like, me and five of my cousins sitting around in a circle playing a, playing a game of Magic. And it was our first game of Magic. It was crazy. Like, each one of us had, like, a different... Picked a different color at random, basically. I think I got stuck with red. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, that's how we thought we played Magic for a long time. And then my early early Magic playing was just with that same group of my, me and, you know, four of my uh, family members just sitting around in a circle, and we thought Magic had to be played with five players. <laughs> so those, that was a lot of my introduction to to Magic. The green deck was so strong, because they had all the big creatures. So when was this? Well, uh, like, what set, roughly what set was this? So hard, hard for me to say. I think most of them were with, I had a lot of uh, revised and fourth edition cards. Okay. Um, but a lot of my early, um, early magic, uh, playing, like when I started to get cards of my own, uh, ended up being like Ice Age and Homelands. Okay. I so remember I'll... having a, a lot of fond memories of like those early Homelands cards. So many, many, many years ago. Oh uh, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been playing magic for almost two thirds of my life now. It's funny, Star Magic is how you got introduced to magic. That's quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, let's walk. So you started playing magic. So how did you transition from playing magic kind of fun with your family members to playing more competitively? How did that happen? Yeah, so um, before I started at Wizards, I uh, was heavily involved in tournament play. Um, I played all sorts of uh, different sanctioned magic from, you know, I love, I still love playing FNM when, you know, we're allowed to. And, um, but yeah, I basically, when I went away to, um, to college, uh, I was on an internet relay chat where somebody that was based around magic because, oh, this is a game I like. And somebody from the area, uh, I went to school in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, somebody from the area is like, Hey, I'm looking for somebody to go to magic tournaments with, you know, anybody from there and then we became fast friends we you know and that's how we kind of started i i hadn't really played in too many magic tournaments before then like i mean i spent a lot of uh a lot of my early years playing magic not even knowing that magic tournaments existed uh so yeah just like being seeing this like thing as a competitive outlet because i'm a pretty competitive person um and seeing magic as like that competitive outlet, something I can focus at, you know, work at, get better at. And, uh, it was just like the best thing, uh, at that time for me. So I, yeah, I loved, uh, the early exploration of magic tournaments. So what, what was your best finish? What was your best finish? 
Um, so I probably played in around six pro tour. I think six pro tours, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then I had uh, so every once in a while I qualified for a handful, handful more. Um, probably like my my best finishes were at the Star City Games Invitationals. Mm-hmm. Um, I made the top eight of three of them, which I'm very happy with, and I I won two of the opens as well. So a lot of my best tournament success came like kind of later in my career, because like when I started playing tournament magic, like there wasn't anything like that. It was just Perter qualifiers and the Perter and Grand Prix. Okay, so how did you go from you know playing playing Magic sort of um, competitively to get into Wizards? What was the transition to Wizards? Yeah. Um, so over over the course of my playing career, I uh, I met a lot of people in the community. A lot of those people. Um, ended up uh, working at Wizards. Um, one of those people is uh, my first manager, Dave Humphreys. I actually played a another card game where Dave worked at, and I was one of the you know, best players in that, so we had some sort of... Uh, he knew who I was when my name came up for um, coming to work at Wizards. And then also, at the time, I had done a variety of uh, writing, uh, streaming... Uh, in the early days of Twitch, um, doing some commentary, um, so I was well known, and a lot of my um, a lot of my articles and content was about kind of magic theory and how magic works, instead of just like decklist after decklist or how to solve this particular environment, but thinking about magic uh, as a whole. Yeah, I should uh, real, real quickly. I just want to say something to people out there who are. Like, like, have dreams of one day working at Wizards. Um, what you did, writing articles where you demonstrate that you understand the game, um, uh, the competitive articles or the decklist articles, I mean, there's lots of readers for those, those are great, but the thing we always kind of look at is, does this person understand the fundamentals of what's going on? And so articles that really show us that you get it, you understand how it works, uh, are... From from an R and D standpoint, are the ones we're most interested in as far as looking for you know new candidates because we it's important to us we can find people that get it. I mean, Magic is a very complex game, lots of moving parts, um, and one of the things we always look for when looking for external people, you know, for new people is do do they get get the fundamentals because there's a lot to learn. And so you you walking in the door knowing a decent amount of it helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I just think like magic has a lot of theory behind it, um, especially if, uh, com- you know competitive theory. Like, what are the strongest things? Um, has, like, certain types of cards are end up being uh, have like natural advantages in terms of um, how strong. They are. Like, one one of the things I uh, I kind of harp on in a lot of my design meetings is like. Well, we have to be really careful with the cards that don't cost a lot of mana. There's so, like, I often say, like, four mana is way more than twice as much as two mana. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that's, like, an example of how, like, the mana system in Magic works um, in ways that might not be obvious when to, to a lot of players. 
So when you were first brought in, um, mm-hmm. so we, what, we, what, year, what year did you join Wizards? I, my, so I, next month, mm-hmm. or September, is going to be my seven-year anniversary. So seven years ago. Okay, 2013? I started right before the Theros pre-release. Okay, so when you were first brought in, one of the things that I, I, I know you were known for when we brought you in originally was you were a really good deck builder. Mm-hmm. You know, and that one of one of the challenges uh, in Magic is we're, we're making brand new cards all the time, and we want to figure out like what what what's going to cause problems, right? Because we're trying to balance things. And you were originally brought in. What was it? Development at the time? Yes, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. back when we had development before before play design. Um, and so I know that one of the reasons we brought you in originally was that having the ability to look at new things and break them down quickly is really valuable when we're trying to figure out like what's what might cause us problems. Yeah, one of the one of the things I uh, I still find very jarring is like you sit down, you build a deck, you play like a game, maybe a game and a half, and you're just like, okay, throw this deck in the trash. There's something either it's like. Not fun. Things aren't right. It's too strong. It's not strong enough. Like the amount I will p- play after building a deck is just so small <laughs> when the cards can change uh, rapidly. Whereas, like if I um, sit down and build a deck for like Magic Arena, I'll play dozens and dozens of games with that deck because I just like find something I enjoy and play it a lot. So it's really jarring, like the the difference between like uh, working, deck building while working, and then deck building while you know playing and having fun. Yeah, the thing that the audience it, it's interesting is that to the audience it's static, right? Cards are cards; if they exist, that is what they are. Um, right. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the reality. Right? Yeah. But uh, behind the scenes, like, right, one of the hard parts about working on the game is nothing is permanent. You know, like everything can change. And so, right, like, you you build a deck and all of a sudden it's too strong. Well, cards in it will change, and then now the deck doesn't work necessarily or not the same. Right. Yeah, a lot of times, like, I build a deck, put it, you know, and play a card, and it's like, okay, this doesn't do anything. Let's, you know, I'm going to go. I'll even, like, pull a card out of a deck and just put it on my desk as a note. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I don't need to, this card for anything else, but I do need the notes. <laughs> okay, so uh, you started uh, doing development. Um, so I want to get a little bit, one of the things that I, I like talking about with people is stuff they led, just because it's interesting to get it, like, mm-hmm. um, obviously the way it works at Wizards is you're on a bunch of teams and then you work your way up. And so there was a lot of things along the way, um, and you've been there for seven years, so you've been on lots and lots of teams, but I want to focus a little bit on stuff that you were more in charge of just cause it's yeah. interesting. I like hearing all the decision-making and, and, uh, hearing stuff you're in charge of usually gets us that, the best insight there. So the first thing that I have you leading here, or major thing you're leading, was Eternal Masters. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so, and when I started, I kind of, in addition to the deck building thing, you know, uh, you noted like one of I think one of my strengths is that like I know a lot of Magic cards. Like some people are, you know, really uh, just like trivia buffs, like good at Magic trivia, or like know all the cards, know all the things. And um, that's that's absolutely one of my strengths. Um, so when it comes to reprint products like the master sets, um, I was a good person to go to. So like giving me uh, kind of 
I won't say they're easier because they're they're not easier, but they're like more restrictive. Uh, there's there's fewer um, possibilities when with reprint stuff. So I thought that those were good sets for me to lead. Um, Just to start with, as a way to get, right. get your like one of the things from behind the scenes, real quickly, is um, we have lots of people. And what we want to do is make a trajectory so that the people can learn and get better and train and stuff. And so Magic makes a lot of products. And so one of the things that's really important is, like, the very first thing you you lead is not the hardest thing in the world to do. It's something that has some parameters on it. Um, for, for example, on my end, I, if you're leading Vision, I have you lead a return, usually before I have you lead a, a new set. Because a new world has a lot more issues to solve than a world we're going back to because we've already solved some of those issues because we were there before. Yeah, and it's not just that, but, like, give give people something they'd be good at to start. So make sure, like, for example, it would not make a lot of sense for, like, me to lead a vision set while you lead the master sets. That's not a good use of our respective skill sets. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> um, so, but master sets are within my skill set, so that was a very good, like, uh, oh, this is something, you know, I'm naturally good at doing. So, yeah, one, one of the reasons that master sets are really interesting because, like, sometimes the thing about master sets is like sometimes there's a card you almost want to use. It just has like just this little weird old rule, like templating quirk from, you know, sometime in magic's history. Like a lot of times where like, um, old cards are symmetrical. Mm -hmm. They affect all players. Yeah. Um, and that just doesn't work for like the limited environment. Just like, it's like, Oh no, like, I would, I would love to just make a new card and do that, but you can't do that with a master set. So it all often ends up being really, uh, really challenging. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that is important for people to understand is just like we're in any new set we build with new cards, you're, you still have all the same things you're trying to do. You're trying to build a limited environment. You're trying to build right. archetypes. Like you're trying to build something. So you just have like less paint colors to use on something, you know. Right, right. I have, yeah. It's like, Instead of just like a broad, you know, canvas which you can do whatever you want, you get a lot of numbers, but you still have to paint by numbers. Yeah. So it's a lot. It's very um, restrictive, and sometimes that's like easy. Is like, oh, that's the best I can do. <laughs> or sometimes it's really frustrating because like I really, really need this, but it doesn't exist. It's like, hey, time machine, can we go back and print this? You know, random three drop with this creature type that does, you know, like. Uh, so, so Eternal Ma What was the theme of Eternal Masters? Do you remember? So yeah, Eternal Masters was um, one of the earlier master sets. Um, I think it was the third master set. So Modern Masters, the original one, mm -hmm. and then Modern Masters twenty fifteen, and then Eternal Masters, and that was the first one that had um, cards that weren't modern legal in it. So it had legacy and vintage cards. So like. Force of Will and Wasteland were the like kind of the headline cards at the time, and it was super exciting to you know finally reprint those cards after fifteen years or whatever it was. Um, so that was the theme, and then there's yeah, just kind of uh, limited themes throughout the set. Um, yeah, like my favorite was like green and white enchantments was is really cool, 
and then go deep and find all these like weird green enchantments that kind of kind of aren't color fire appropriate, but <laughs> uh, uh, exist. Okay, so you did Eternal Masters, and then the next uh, big thing you did was Modern Masters twenty seventeen. Yeah, um, so that was the the theme of that one was it was a multicolor thing because at the time um <clears throat> masters were uh master sets were based on kind of blocks that were introduced and one of the big blocks that we had access to for the first time for that was return to ravnica so it was like oh let's make this a multicolor set um and for those uh magic historians that was the uh that was the about the time when uh, the internet thought we would never reprint Damnation, <laughs> so <laughs> made 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 sure that Damnation was in that in that one too. Uh, oh, something you brought up that I don't know if the audience is aware of. Um, when we make master sets, usually there's some sort of gap between when the sets come out and they show up in the masters because we want. We, we mm-hmm. want to go back and get sort of older stuff and bring back older stuff. And so um, what you're saying is sometimes you're making a master like, oh, this set's not available and now you have access where before we wouldn't have put it in a master set. And that, right. Yeah, a lot of time we wanted to uh, kind of like each each master set had a few more uh, sets that like either they hadn't come out in the real world um, or we want them to like rotate out a standard before we put them in a, a master set. Um, now we... Now our master sets are mostly kind of themes, like the recent Double Masters has an artifact theme. Mm-hmm. Um, back with Modern Masters 17, it was, wasn't necessarily based on a like overarching theme like a lot most of our um, main sets are, but like mostly based on what's what we want to put in the set, like what sets we want to draw from. So before we move off masters, what what is your what is the thing that people most misunderstand about masters? Like what is what is the thing that's as a, the, a guy who makes lots of master sets? What is the thing you don't think people know about it? Uh, I guess um, the the different like how difficult it is to fit the right themes, like giving at least making the master sets actually I find very challenging. Like, um, yeah, kind of what I explained about the, like, oh, there's not always the card you want to make. Um, sometimes it's really, uh, really skewed. Like one of my big regrets about, um, masters, uh, 2017 was that there weren't enough Demir cards that were good candidates. So I ended up uh, using one that I very much regret, uh, just because the options weren't that great. Like I, I regret putting Din River Horror in the set. That was really unbalancing. Um, but like the other options were not; they're much much weaker and didn't do that much. So uh, sometimes you just have to stretch, and sometimes that backfires. Okay, so now let's transition away from sets without new cards. Uh, so the next set we're going to talk about is a combination. It had some reprints, but it had a lot of new cards. Modern Horizons. Yeah. Um, uh, so Modern this... Horizons is so <laughs> fascinating. Uh, I absolutely, to this day, it remains my favorite um, project 
not just because of like the final product, which I absolutely love. Um, but I also just love the journey that we went on, like just as like a whole, even a whole company, like just like what it started at and what it be, you know, morph into over time. Um, how we had to go through each of the different, like, okay, what is this? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we allowing ourselves to do? What's the goal here? Um, I know you had a lot of, um, you had a lot of work involved in like kind of the genesis of it. Like you did a, like, um, uh, we, we call them hackathons. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, basically the story is, uh, Ethan and I each individually went in and pitched, uh, I'm very, I mean, it was similar enough that, uh, uh, Mark Lobus, who was in charge at the time said, why don't you guys just put this together? You, you seem to basically want the same thing. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, we, we had a week to sort of, uh, prove ourselves and then we got picked and then a year later it came out. So, yeah. <laughs> and then not only did, like the thing that kind of like got picked, um, was very different from what we ended up, but like uh, the spiritual, like. Uh, like the, the idea is the same, but like, oh, are we gonna like what are we gonna do with these reprints? Like, what kind of um stuff do we want? Like, how are we going to position this? You know, like when are we gonna release it? Well, our um, our original pitch, like our original pitch didn't involve modern at all. We, Correct. We, we were just like let, let's do another time spiral. You know, let, let's do another nostalgia driven you know and, and and franchise player but a supplemental set rather than a main you know and a, a, a premiere set um and then it sort of took on this once it became modern like it took on this whole other yeah, life once I, that, that aspect i still remember the moment that was it like um bill rose one of our vice presidents was like oh hey like you know like what kind of audience would like this and then eventually it came around like, well, people that really like modern would like this. It's like, okay, well. <laughs> and then, it, yeah, just like the kind of, I don't know, the whole like, um, then from that to that, and then like the, the whole product kind of like picked up a lot of steam uh, as we kept working on it. Like um, the more the more we were able to, like, internally, the more we were able to spread the word around, like, hey, come check out this product, the more people got excited about it, just internally. And that's how we knew it was going to be, like, a, a really big hit. Yeah, it, it is funny to watch it from, like, skeptical early beginnings to, like, everyone was right. so excited. Like, yeah, like, there <laughs> a lot of things, like, will people even want this? And then as we made it, the answer was just so clearly, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of want this. Um, okay, so we, uh, I'm not too far from getting to work here, so let, I want to get on to your, your uh, entry into a, making a premiere set. So the first yeah. time, uh, Core 2021 was your baby. So let's talk about mm -hmm. uh, what was that like, making, making Core 2021? Yeah, I, uh, so the big difference between um, Modern Horizons and Core 2021 was... Um, kind of having to fully integrate with the play design team at the end of the process. So for all of, you know, our other sets, um, there's a still a set design team, like product reviews, you still interact. There's still, you know, like uh, creative um, 
you know, art directors and card concepts that you work with. Um, but the big difference between a um, standard legal set is the presence of the play design team and specifically the the grind that is getting your set through the FFL process. Um, that's a ton of work. We have a ton of talented people on play design. Um, can you explain I'm FFL real quickly? Adam, can you explain FFL? Oh, yes. So <laughs> FFL is our internal, um, internal like play tests. It's called Future Future League. That doesn't really mean too much to us. FFL is our internal play testing process for standard legal sets. So that you can play ahead. So that uh, you guys are playing the environment of the future so that we can make changes based on what we learn about right. that environment. Right. And we try and use a little combination of stuff that's already been released and stuff that's new. Um, so we can kind of see how the new stuff interacts with the old stuff that we have some good data on. Um, but sometimes, that yeah, like I think when we were working on M21, uh, Throne of Eldraine was just released. So we got the whole, like, um, the whole Ravnica year plus Throne of Eldraine, but we didn't have any information on, like, Theros or Ikoria. To, so we had... Some some stuff that was new and we were playtesting, and some stuff that had already been released. Okay, so um, I'm a, I want to ask you about a few things in, in Core 2021. Just, yeah. uh Okay, so the thing that I got the most positive buzz on was the dog theme. So how did the dog theme come about? Yeah, so I love... Uh, I don't know. Like, my my favorite magic stuff is just, like, the whimsical stuff. I like all the, like, meme cards. Um... I like making jokes about cards. I love giving nicknames to cards. Um, and so, to the point, like, it just started calling anything that's, like, a hound or anything, like, a, you know, a good doggo. I love dogs. I have, you know, my, uh, my uh, Shih Tzu uh, is, you know, my favorite. Uh, so I love dogs. And, like, yeah, we just kind of got around talking. And it's like, we were kind of lamenting. It's like, why... Why don't we have? Why 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 do we still have these hounds and not these dogs? Dogs are way cooler. Um, and then I was talking with like a bunch of people that like could actually change this stuff. It's like okay, I want to change this. What do I have to do? And then go around talking to people. It's like okay, nobody has an objection. It's like well, why did we do this so much earlier? I know you had some frustration. Uh, at various points, but like, I guess the you know with the the people we have that you know the the kind of you know the way magic is going a little bit more lighthearted um, than it has historically. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's just an easy change. It's funny that the behind the scenes for the, is I spent years trying to make this change. I mean, I mean like yeah. fifteen years. And then I, I finally got resigned, resigned to, like, I, okay, I guess it's never yeah, going to change. And then you, like, completely unaware, just get it changed. I'm like, what? Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, I'm so, happy. Yeah. I'm happy to see it happen. Yeah, me too. Um, and that part of it was, uh, and then the other interesting thing about Core 20, working on Core 2020, uh, Core 2021, is, or Core, yeah, is um, Jumpstart. So we had to figure out, like, how these two products, how much they're intertwined. 
Um, we decided that they wanted to use a lot of themes that overlapped in the sets. Um, like the their planeswalker themes for each of the five planeswalkers, their themes for each of like the limited archetypes that overlap. Jumpstart uses a lot of Core Twenty Twenty One, but like at some point it's its own product. It's different. It has it had we decided that it needed the flexibility to do what it wanted. It couldn't be um that tied at the hip with the, the main set. And I think Jumpstart is super cool. Yeah, so uh, I the, Jumpstart ended up amazing. Some of the audience doesn't know, just so, uh, um there was a point in time where Core Twenty Twenty One and Jumpstart were like kind of the same thing. Like it, it started on the and then they sort of drifted apart a little bit as they realized that they were they could overlap, but they were kind of separate products. Um, but there was definitely a point in time where Core Twenty Twenty One is penciled as because Doug had been trying to do Jumpstart forever, and like, okay, this is gonna be the place we do it. We're gonna we're gonna incorporate it into the core set, and then I know they got extracted over time. They ended up being being not the same thing. Um, but yeah, so the the lead of Jumpstart, Doug Fire, and I worked a ton early on in the in the process, just like how are we aligning things? How are we, you know, how are we going to set both of these things up for success? And even super early on, it was pitched that like, oh, maybe I am in charge of both products. Uh, maybe they're that close together that I can do both of them. Um, but that was quickly, by the time we started design, that was not the case. <laughs> uh, and Doug was an awesome person. He had worked so much on the initial um, kind of thing that ended the initial design that became uh, Jumpstart. That did y- Yanni did set design. Uh, Doug. Oh, Doug did set. No, no, I mean, did Doug do the set design as well as the vision? Yes. Oh, he did. He did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Yanni was on the team and did a lot of the game balance. Okay. Okay. Stuff for it. Um, but yeah, Doug was the lead on on Jumpstart. And yeah, Doug's Doug's great because he's um, his main job is as as um, a creative person, a card conceptor. Uh, but he's so just so talented that he uh, he's got some game to you know he's led a couple uh, products as well. And Jumpstart was his baby. That, Jumpstart was his idea. Yep, absolutely. Um, it, interestingly, it was in the same hackathon. The same hackathon that we did Modern Horizons is when uh, we did that. Um, yep. Yep, but be- I remember playing both of them. <laughs> because because of printing issues, it ended up taking longer. Like, what the audience right. doesn't always realize is we had to invent new printing processes to be able to even make Jumpstart. And it was behind the scenes, it's a very complex product from a production standpoint. Um, and I'm not sure the audience on, on the end necessarily understands that, but it took us a lot longer to figure out how to make it on, like, just, I don't, I don't mean design it, I, I mean physically print the product. Physically, yeah, right. And a lot of times that, that kind of stuff is challenging and sometimes frustrating as game designers. It's like, we want to do so many things, but, you know, we're limited by, like, you know, our cards have to be, like, we have pieces of cardboard that have to be physically made. Yeah, or collation, or, yeah, so there's all, yeah, there's all sorts of things uh, we have to work under. Um, so anyway, I, I am almost at my desk. So uh, anything you want to sum up? Anything that's sort of your, your time at Wizards that, that you want to hit upon that we haven't yet? No, um, working at Wizards is still seven years in, still my dream job. I love 
coming into my other room to work <laughs> every day. <laughs> um, and I can't wait to, uh, I really miss going back in the office and seeing everybody. Um, but yeah, working at Wizards is literally a dream come true. And even after all these years. And yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Adam. So guys, looks like I'm at my desk. So we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So Adam, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And guys, I will see all of you next time. Bye-bye.